Blog Talk Radio. Frontier Beyond Fear live broadcast. I'm Susan Larison Dance, and today is Saturday, August 13th, 2022. And I have to tell you, I come into this show after having experienced quite a remarkable synchronicity related to a poem I will read that I turned to in a book. It was over 1,300 pages, and I turned to this poem, which I'm sure some of you will recognize some lines from this poem because they're quite famous, but many of us will not recall the entire poem Um, because sadly, and I include myself in this, although I'm doing my best with rediscovering some things, we go through school And we may be very, very engaged with things. And then our lives get on and we lose touch with important, helpful wisdom that can really assist us during these times. Today, I do have an important topic. And if I sound a bit riled up, it's just because of how this just happened and how I came into this show fast. Um, A lot of times I'm waiting for it to start, you know, I'm just relaxing. This time, something really happened, and there were a lot of things going on right before the show. So, and maybe that's the perfect thing for the topic that I want to talk about today. Rarely do I include any capital letters in a title. But today it's important. And even while saying that, the affirmative yes in capital letters, what we need to say yes to, is even more important. But it starts with saying no. In our current, I know that um, this may go against some ways of understanding no and yes. I'm not saying that we need to spend all our time on the no. We start with the no, which launches us into yes, because that is often the only way we can get to the yes. More and more when we can say yes to positive things, that's all we need to say, and we don't have to say the no's anymore. No is the launching point to our own own awakening No, it's saying no. We're not going there anymore. I'm not going to focus on that. No, the influence that fear has over me is not going to take hold. No to the old patterns. Yes, yes to love. Yes to empowerment, to courage to all the positive things that we can embrace when we step into a miraculous world. But often, it really does. Our launching point and also our reminder is the no. Because these things will resurface for all of us, every single one of us. Some worry that keeps replaying in your head, some trigger, something where You have to say no to it. Don't spend all your time on no. Move to yes as fast as you can. But when you need to say no to fear, say no. Don't be afraid 
to say no, even while emphasizing yes, the power of yes. In fact, what did I just say? Don't be afraid to say no. That is really important. Don't allow, say, a practice. Like, let's say your practice is I'm going to say yes to all the good things that are coming. Yes to making the best of every situation. Yes to unconditional love. But you're still afraid of this voodoo power of the wrong word. If I say the wrong word, oh my gosh, something bad's going to happen. That's fear. And when you find yourself doing that, in any case, don't be afraid of a word in your head. If it works for you to say no, say no, and it will work. If you don't want to say no, say yes. Do what works for you. What I have found And I had a bit of a trigger myself. I mean, we have so many things going on right now in our world and in our lives. And the thing about saying no to fear, saying no to some form of bullying or intimidation, and, you know, maybe something is trying to influence you in a way, you have to think about, okay, What is the motivation here? Is it because of fear? Some will say, well, fear has its value. Like, you know, you don't want to touch a hot stove. That's a different kind. I don't even really encapsulate that in the type of fear, even the, the, the definition of fear that I work with here. That's more about um, wisdom. That's more about being wise. I can say that in a positive way. But, yes, of course, if a child in a room is going towards a hot stove, what's your first instinct? No. If a child is running out in the street, what's your first instinct? No. It's okay to say no and then substitute what the yes is. But, That's a kind of a fear that's based on just wise caution. That's part of our, um, you know, your adrenaline will rise. If a fire is coming, you know, you want to respond to that. If a flood is arriving, you want to respond to that. And you will fear, you will feel some fear. Yes, you will fear But you can say no to the fear dominating you because I can guarantee in a situation of any jeopardy, if you are overcome with your fear, you will not be able to respond as meaningfully nor will you be, or safely, nor will you be able to help anyone around you. You can still respond in a space of wisdom. You see a tornado coming, bearing down. um, Of course you're going to feel some fear. That's normal. But how do you respond to it? How do you react? Sure, it may make you run into the basement. But will you be mindful as to what you're going to do and, you know, maybe help some other people or whatever the situation is? You need to, you know, that the old saying, you need to keep your wits about you in a sense. Because when we allow anything fearful to influence our decisions in a way that clearly is not healthy, any decision, we are not making the decision out of the correct place. There are times in our world where there are going to be very difficult, complex decisions. We are all facing this in our world, and you'll find this poem that I'll be reading, which is quite a deep one, but you'll recognize, most of you will recognize some of the the lines of this poem. I won't read the whole thing. 
this is about so many different levels of understanding. At the surface level, it's about reactions. When you have a snap reaction to something, and in that instant, you know, sure, if it's a fire coming and you think you need to to get out of the way, I mean, of course you're going to respond quickly, and you may need to. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's when something is attempting to lead you in a path that is not wise, that is not mindful, that is motivated by fear alone. We can often recognize this when we're thinking about, oh, you know, what if this worry, okay? We can create these false scenarios in our mind that may never ever happen and in other episodes I did an episode on worry Um, you know there's some very famous quotes about um, and I won't even give them directly here I'll just paraphrase that we spend a lot of time worrying about things that never ever come to be in fact I can see that in the lives of some people I know people who you know used to worry a lot and you know it's funny as they get older they don't worry as much anymore and I find that really interesting. But the things that they tended to worry about have passed away. Now, there certainly are some things to be concerned about in our world, right? But we don't know that everything is going to happen in the way that we project because it's really, really easy to project all kinds of nightmare things. This is not a simple world in which we live. It is a world of light and shadow. And you will find that this poem that I'm going to read in a little bit has something to do with shadow as well. We can choose a different way. We can choose to make our own authentic decisions based in every bit of wisdom. Some decisions require research. Do the research mindfully. Really feel your way forward. Often decisions involve a mix of intuition and research. That's an Interesting, subtle thing, you know. How do you make the distinction between fear and guidance? Like, that feels off to me. We talked about this in the last show, this sense of something just feeling off. Why? Why does that, whatever it is, feel off? It's okay to explore that. But we really need to work with our relationship to fear. And more times than not, when it's the kind of fear I'm talking about, in fact, all times when it's that kind of fear, the dysfunctional kind of fear, or even the manipulative kind of fear, which is really devious. I mean, just fear immersed in the shadow. Saying no is the beginning. Sometimes we need in our own heads to say no. No, no, no. I am not going there. I am not dwelling on that. I am not being pressured. I am not going to do whatever the thing may be that's unhealthy or Um, you know, something that fear is motivating. That will then lead to a new kind of life. Miracles do exist in this world. The interesting thing about all of that is even if 
some semblance of what we may worry about appears when we have a relationship with how to respond to the fears in our head or the fears that are being imposed on us by someone. We can master our path. So others may be owning their fear. In fact, this happened to me in another way last week or somewhat related where it dawned on me quickly, hey, this isn't mine. This isn't mine. This is not my fear. This is encapsulated in something totally different. My reaction is my reaction. I own my response. Sometimes things will happen where, um, you know, this can happen a lot of times in workplaces where, you know, boy, I'm no stranger to this. I mean, in the old days, my goodness, I had a reputation even for um, really, um, you know, if I saw something wrong, I mean, I certainly would point it out. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, and I could get pretty riled up about it, and I worried, and I I was not, and I'm not saying I'm a perfect person now either. We're, none of us is a perfect person. How many times can I say that in this program? But the thing is, is we can change and we can see the results of how we're changing over time. It's a remarkable thing to feel and observe. And I wish I could tell that young person long ago, that's not yours. You know, you can replay these scenes in your head where something, you know, just you got caught up in an argument, whatever, something happened. Sometimes it can be quite dramatic. And then you realize that just because somebody else is unhinged, and people can become very unhinged, doesn't mean you need to own that as yours. It has nothing to do with you, even if it may seem like they're responding to you in some way. No, no. You can own your response to someone else's fear, even someone else's anger. Let's give another scenario that's sadly far too common. Um, Say you're in a car wreck or something. And somebody comes, you know, they're just furious, comes raging out of their car. Maybe you made a mistake. Thankfully, this hasn't happened to me. But road rage is on the rise, you know, they say. Well, first of all, in that case, you may have to find a way to safety because some people are so unhinged, you just don't know what they're going to do. But And so there is wisdom involved in how we respond. It may be the same as some kind of fire arriving. But let's just say maybe that's a bit of an extreme scenario. Let's just say it's somewhere where you're not in danger. You're not in any danger, but someone is angry. You don't own their anger. That's their anger. In fact, here's where you can own one of the antidotes to fear, the greatest antidote, and that is the opposite of fear, is love, love, and it starts with loving yourself enough not to internalize some dysfunctional anger, you are worth more than that, there is a lot of immaturity in the world. It's everywhere. We ourselves can be immature at times. Again, you can sometimes be on the other side of this. And actually, the more that you recognize these sorts of things, I there, I recently, gosh, what was the situation? I had a situation where I was concerned about somebody. That's right. 
Now I remember. And, you know, anyone who's been a parent, like if something really scary happens, like someone does run out in the street. I actually had that happen with my child once. I've described it on the show where um, I had a very active child at two, and we were coming out of um, Gymboree, which was all the rage back then. And I was holding, I always held on to my child's hand very, very well because he was extremely active at that age. And another child um, burst, tried to burst out the door, basically, as I remember it, trying to think through how this all came about. So I was trying to keep the other child from running outside. And in the process, my child let go of my hand and ran out into the street and I was beside myself, you know, I ran out there and said, you know, no, of course, you know, but it was really scary. Um, And it just, that was an example of even your best intentions can lead to unforeseen things. But it was miraculous in the sense, too, that nothing happened. And I certainly learned a lesson. And I don't know if my son remembered. He was very, very young. He may have even been somewhat younger than two. I'm not sure. But he was around the age of two, I believe. So sometimes, sometimes our reaction can be because we love somebody, because we're afraid for them. And that can be really visceral. That can be really visceral because our love is so strong. But still, mindfulness, around fear is so important. This show has been about fear for so many years now. And yet we still keep learning new things about fear. Okay, I am going to read this poem, and it may seem to kind of just jump right onto the program, but I trust that at least part of this poem needs to be read. I actually turned to this poem, I think last week, possibly the week before, but I really wasn't paying attention. I was just thinking, you know, um, I just didn't think it was relevant. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Clearly, I didn't read it then. But this time, and there's no reason this book would open to this page, because it hasn't before. It's over 1,300 pages, this book. And um, I think you will find some things. We'll probably discover it together because it happened right before the show. So some of it you will recognize. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I am going to tell you that it is from The Hollow Men, which is by T.S. Eliot. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with T.S. Eliot, and some of you may be extremely familiar with all of this this poem, and congratulations for your wisdom. If you are, I am in the process of rediscovering some things, as I'm sure we read this in school. T.S. Eliot lived between 1888 and 1965, and I turned randomly to page 1105 when I was looking for, you know, what voice wants to speak to us today? Well, T.S. Eliot does and did the other week as well, but maybe he just wanted to remind me to come back to this today. I'll read the beginning and we'll see what I'm led to read because the live show, yeah, we got about five, five minutes or so here. Actually, before I start reading, since I think we may end up being um, in the middle of this when the show ends, I just want to remind you, go to FrontierBeyondFear.com. Thank you, live listeners, for being here. But you'll be able to hear the entire podcast by going to the archive there. And, um, yeah, this show airs live every week, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So, and thanks once again to Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show on the homepage while live. I always appreciate that very much. And it's actually doing 
Wow, even just amid the live shows, live spirituality, I appreciate that it's being featured. So my thank yous to all of you. The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot. T.S., by the way, stands for Thomas Stearns. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men. Leaning together, headpiece filled with straw, alas, our dried voices when we whisper together are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass. Or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar, shape without form. Shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead here. It's always interesting to read these poems. Let's be clear, this is a poem in its time, also important to remind you of. Okay, so I'm jumping again ahead a little bit here. This is what we need to see. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, this is it, I have to interject, falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the desire and the spasm, between the potency and the existence, between the essence And the descent falls the shadow, for thine is the kingdom. For thine is, life is, for thine is the, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way. The world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Okay. I don't know. Did that manage to make it into the live show? Yes, it did. That's the part that we needed to hear today. Do you see how it synchronistically relates? You see the shadow. And that shadow can be interpreted in many ways. Yes, it can be interpreted in a really horrible, horrendous way out in the world where people just react to something and in a very unhealthy um, way without thinking. It leads to some of the darkest things. And yet, what does he say? And I am interpreting this live as we go. I'm sure in school we probably looked at this in a deeper way. I have read no interpretation, just a couple of notes as to where this came from. How many of us have heard those final lines? I've heard them. How do I spontaneously interpret them? You know, we project all these scenarios and we've talked about it on this program. Right now, I mean, we're literally under threat of a possible nuclear war. We've talked about that and so many other things in ways that the world can feel in jeopardy. How do we respond? How do we respond? Thanks, live show. I'll stay for the podcast a little bit longer as long as I'm guided. We have to work with ourselves. 
shadow can be projected onto us. What was I talking about before? You know, I hadn't really read all of this as deeply before the show, and it's even more. I mean, my response to some of this before the show was, wow, yes, but I hadn't gone very deep with it yet. Others can project their shadow right onto us. Someone comes raging into a room, right? Do you own that person's rage or do you own your own? Do you own your response and choose not to be in a rage? There are things that can make us really upset. And yeah, we're going to be angry. You better believe it. And honestly, some of that, I mean, how could you not be upset about something? But not everything is as we project, and that's important too. The shadow can contain many, many things. And one of those things, and I'm not over-empowering the shadow here in my own interpretation of this. I don't choose to give so much power to that. But it is a real thing in our world. There is darkness and light. I will always tell you that the yes is to the light, which is love. And that love is more powerful than any shadow. Just as light, when it floods a room, the shadow goes away. Light is more powerful. And in fact, shadow is just an aspect of lack of light, of less light. That light is still present and can grow. There's just so much here, and I'll be interested to read some traditional interpretations of this poem. A lot of us have been thinking about the end of the world. And in this poem, to me, we're not just talking about the end of the world, although how often do we talk about the end of the world, the actual end of the world, or as much of it as we can imagine, or a great portion of it, or whatever. Yes. We think about that. But notice how this famous line, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. That A lot can be read into that. A lot can be read into that. But to me, what I see is lack of courage to say no to that which we need to say no to. You know, when you're when there's a whimper, now you could also be in pain. Whimpers can can come out of pain. Um, you could be injured. But what I see is more when we don't have the courage to recognize some old pattern, and that may involve studying history. Yes. And just say no. No, we're not going there. We're not repeating this cycle that can be personal. It can be societal. And believe me, no particular um, ism is free of shadow. In fact, at their most dysfunctional, just about every point of view can be completely dominated by the shadow. That can happen. And it happens when people are not mindful in owning what they know to be wise, what they know to be true, what they know feels right in the deepest way intuitively and in alignment with all that is good, all that is light, all that is love. And you can feel it. And you can see where we fall short. 
Every one of us falls short. But when we become more aware of who it is we can be as this deeper person, more aligned with what we know is important. And it actually does help to have an awareness of spirituality. Of course it does. How could it not? That's where the light comes from, even when we don't know it. What do we think this omnipresent love is that is the divine? But we so often fail to understand what it is. And we project all kinds of dysfunctional things onto what it truthfully can never be and will never be and could not possibly be in the space of omnipresent love. Once you know it, once you see what love is, you can feel. I mean, it's just obvious. That's not it. We have to care about what is real. We have to care about what we own and what is someone else's issue and we can love that person through whatever they're going through and sometimes, you know, it may be something really dysfunctional and we need to, you know, not, you know, this is a person whose influence needs to go away or whatever and you can find examples in many places. I know that this goes out to much of the world, and I'm not even talking about any particular situation here. Let's be clear. What do we value? What do we know is consistent with omnipresent love? That is really the key, and that will help us with our decisions, with our response. You know, at the mundane level, we've gone much deeper here. The situation I ran into this week was actually really pretty not not deep at all. You know, it was just, well, you know, what's for the better good kind of thing, you know, Fear might push you in a certain way, but then once you see the fear and say no, no to fear, I'm saying no to fear, okay, fear, go up on a shelf, you know, this projection of worry, go up on a shelf, what is the best decision? It becomes much clearer when you do that, because then all of a sudden you realize that this, 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 and this, oh, that's all based on some worry. And that what's what's the, the thing that is the wisest, most balanced approach? And it becomes clear, centered. There's the word. What's the most centered approach? If you haven't heard the show I did on fear and centering, more of you have discovered that program, and it's actually quite a profound one as well. Centering is really what it says in a way. You know, it's, it's, you're balancing. It's not one way or the other. In any given situation, the circumstances dictate some things. I mean, sometimes we do need to just say, I can rise above that circumstance, and I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But often an approach becomes very clear, the centered, balanced, wise, mindful approach, not something that's being pushed or swayed or intimidated or bullied. That's never the right path because you have to think, okay, what is the centered, balanced, for the good 
approach. And you can usually see it. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you need to really think about it some more. And you also need to let in that love for yourself. Never let somebody, um, oh, you know, another word, shame. How many times might someone shame people into something that's not healthy by projecting some totally inaccurate projection onto a person? You know, a perfect example, um, the old witch trials. I mean, those people who were burned at the stake, they didn't own that shame. Are you kidding me? I mean, the people projecting that, I mean, it wouldn't have worked. I I think some of them were probably very defiant because they knew that um, this was wrong. I was reading about trial by ordeal recently. I'm not sure how I fell into this, but I just happened to be. I was reading about... I think it was how, that's it, how did we come to understand more enlightened ways of justice? And there used to be, why did they say, you know, if the person sinks, it's one way, like throw them in the water. If if they fall, if they sink to the bottom, well, they're innocent. If they float, you know, I think it was the opposite like that, that, that if a woman was, and it wasn't always a woman that was burned as a witch, but... Um, you know, if they if they sank, which probably isn't a very good thing, then they were innocent, and if they floated, they were guilty. Did you know that the reason why they used these sorts of just bizarre tests is because they were basically, in their eyes, leaving it up to a judgmental God that, um, you know, well, the divine would either make them sink or, or, you know, or whatever, all the different weird things that they came up with. And you can see how, on the one hand, this is where you lose your centering. In fact, this is such a good example that I'm just thinking of now. It's fine to trust in the divine. I mean, I fully believe. Now, see, when you throw all of that out and say, um, you know, there just isn't any divine and you become a materialist, you can understand why they did because, you know, it just seems so arbitrary. And there was a definition here being used that wasn't real and it certainly wasn't based in love. And so they had just a totally random way of of coming about any kind of decision when it came to, um, you know, justice at the time. And what is centering? You know, what I would say is having, I personally have for years believed in restorative justice. I don't believe that vengeance-based approaches are healthy. That's when you overreact. And usually it's because, you know, something really bad has happened and you want vengeance. Well, that leads to every war on the planet. I mean, vengeance is a quick reaction, but it is filled with the shadow, even though it can seem to be related to love. Of course, you love these people. You know, like, How many wars have been caused by somebody coming in and people you love are impacted, and then you know, before you know it, it just gets out of hand? The problem is you have to find a centered space of wisdom. And you need to say, what would unconditional love say? So many times, you know, where you have some really, you know, way, way dysfunctional thing. Well, you know, there's a person who is having real issues. You know, there's something wrong here. And you can find a way not to justify the shadow, but to see a way out of it that doesn't involve just destroying everything is what because that's what happens when we overreact and when vengeance takes hold in any situation i think this is all i'm going to say for today
except to really urge you. I'm closing this giant book, and I've lost the poem again. We'll see if I can open to it again. (laughs) Say yes to light. Say no to shadow. Don't internalize another person's fear. Don't overly accentuate to monstrous proportions your own fear. Find your center. Find your wisdom. Find the omnipresent divine, which is real. That's another reason why I believe in restorative justice. It's because of that concept of we are all a part of the omnipresent divine. Different aspects, that doesn't mean that we can't be led down very dark paths. But we didn't start out there. Something happened to make that happen. And it's our job as we move forward to shine that light and be discerning, like I said in the last program. Say yes to the better aspects of ourselves. And you know it when you feel it. You can feel it. Life does become more miraculous then. doesn't mean that we won't have tests and challenges. At a societal level, how are we not having tests and challenges? And probably anywhere in the world right now. And some could be much more severe than I can even conceive of here in the U.S. And I recognize that with my listeners. And I know we are coming from different belief systems as well. But just about every belief system has some notion of the golden rule, has some notion of compassion and empathy. And what can we do to find our way to a better life. That's what we all want. We want to live the best life possible and have our children live the best life possible. That isn't always what we think it is. That doesn't mean it. You know, we tend to think, oh, it means they have lots of things. No, it doesn't mean that. They don't have to be rich. That's not necessarily the best life. In fact, a lot of people who are very wealthy, they're, they're not happy at all. That's not it. But there is joy to be found in this. There is joy even in the midst of sorrow. As odd as that may be, even when there is pain, even when we're tested, we can find this place that is really quite miraculous. So, okay. I will leave it at that, I think. I go where I'm guided. Thank you for being here. Once again, this show is very spontaneous. I usually come up with the topics on usually the morning of the show. And that's what happened today. I think I was starting to be led to it yesterday, but it's always close to the show. And I speak from my heart. And yes, I do look for wisdom where I'll just open... A book, and I have several. I aim to have more. <laughs> and I have what I have here. And, um, you know, anthologies are very useful for this. But I can't read anything too modern due to copyrights, so I'm a little careful there. But, um, okay, so there. Am I being fearful? No, I'm just being mindful and knowledgeable about the copyright. See, there's a very simple example. Just just honoring, you know, 
what what the copyright is, the writer's copyright. I do honor that. So, all right. I will see you next time, I hope, Saturday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and you can find this show on a few different syndicates, FrontierBeyondFear.com is where you can find out more information, which I'll aim to get updated again soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you.